All right, I need something to read. Um, Alexa, what's the name of Neil Gaiman's first book? Hello, uh, Alexa. I'm sorry, Phil. I'm afraid I can't do that. Whoa, you sound like... Perhaps you'd like to read something by William Gibson. Or perhaps watch Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Oh, no. Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Tape Architects provides planning and design services for higher ed libraries. Their team has more than 40 years of experience and has created learning environments at MIT, Norfolk State University, the American College of Greece, and many more. College and university library spaces must meet the needs of today's students. By embracing a flexible and collaborative learning commons environment, your facilities can support all aspects of academic pursuit. Tape Architects, enhancing learning communities through library design. Learn more at tape.com. That's T-A-P-P-E dot com. AI, artificial intelligence. It's not solely relegated to the world of science fiction anymore. AI is everywhere, from Siri on your iPhone and Alexa in your living room, to large-scale data-crunching machine learning applications that are changing how we work and live. And it's in the library world as well. Today, on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we'll look at AI in libraries, academic libraries specifically, with conversations with librarians from two universities that are doing amazing things with artificial intelligence. First, I'll speak with Nicole Coleman, Digital Research Architect at Stanford University Libraries, and then I speak with Boyin Kim, Chief Technology Officer and Associate Professor at University of Rhode Island Libraries. But first, a message from Tape Architects, today's sponsor. What will your next academic library look like? How will it meet the needs of modern learning styles and adapt for the future? Attend the Future of Library Design at Harvard's Graduate School of Design, August 5th through 7th. Explore emerging models and evolving changes in library environments, and how changes in service and information technology influence library facility design. The course is led by Tape Architects Library Design Director, Jeff Hoover, and features an all-star lineup of guest speakers and sessions. To learn more and to register, visit tape.com slash gsd. That's T-A-P-P-E dot com slash G-S-D. Stanford University Libraries is doing trailblazing things with artificial intelligence right now, both in application and education. Nicole Coleman, digital research architect at Stanford University Libraries, joined Dewey Decimal recently to discuss AI in general and the exciting things happening at their library. Um, AI. Let's let's talk a bit before we get into to some of the uh, the things that Stanford Stanford Libraries is doing in AI. Let's just talk about AI generally. Um, why for our listeners and for for me, um, what wh- why what is AI? Why is it so important? And why should libraries care about this advancing technology? Well, I think libraries, not only libraries, but libraries, archives, and museums, you know, have been collecting and preserving. 
the world's knowledge and, and cultural production um, and in the interest of knowledge production and, and learning um, for the future, right? So now machine intelligence, in, in quotes, <laughs> is being trained on, on these masses of content that haven't been carefully curated. Um, and we're seeing that that's resulting in all kinds of problems, right, uh, particularly in the in the for-profit sector. So my take on it is libraries need to to really step up and, and take on the curation and management of, of the data that's used to, to train algorithms for AI. Um, some of the, your listeners might have heard of AI uh, described as the new electricity, and that's that's Andrew Ng's motto for um, AI. I'm reading right now, I just started reading this great book um, by Amy Webb, called the big nine and she describes ai as um, technology upon which our future is being built because it intersects with every aspect of our lives health and medicine housing agriculture transportation sports and even love sex and death um, so web statement isn't as pithy and, and memorable as ings um, but i think with that with, with what the way that she describes it we can sort of better intuit the way that implement, implementations of AI um, can influence our lives, because right? it's really more than electricity, um, because as we consider machine intelligence in relation to human intelligence, um, uh, you know, and then the ways in which we're coming to rely upon it starts to bring into question um, more of, you know, our, ourselves, what are our capabilities, where do those begin and end, right? So so we're shaping AI and it's shaping us at the same time, both socially and culturally, um, in addition to technologically. Now, when did the, the library AI initiative at Stanford Libraries begin? And, and can, can you elaborate on, on what you're doing? Um, so we, we started about two years ago. Um, it grew out of what, for me, was at that time a relatively newly defined role of digital research architect. Um, I started to explore how digital research practices were changing across all the different disciplines um, within the academy, I mean, specifically at Stanford. So I was interviewing faculty. Um, I also interviewed library heads and, and specialists across the library, people in collection development, archives, um, metadata development, et cetera. And what became clear is that research practices are changing, um, and at the same time, librarians really don't have the tools to keep up with those changes. Um, so that was kind of the, the beginning of it, um, and, and we started uh, by helping to sort of demystify AI. Uh, we invited speakers in um, and had sort of private you know, com uh, conversations about AI, and then we did some public events um, about applications of AI and what that could mean for the library. And then, of course, we started um, the, the Sewell AI Studio to actually get some, some practical hands-on work. Um, now, you mentioned the studio. Uh, what kind of, of projects in, in, in the events also, what kind of projects um, have you has the, the library undertaken at the studios thus far? So what we did, I, it's I think it's important to recognize that, you know, Silly Eye Studio is more, you know, um, a, a a kind of, you know, shared thought space. I mean, mm -hmm. It's not an actual physical space. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but the idea behind the, the studio, it, it, this is interesting because, you know, we did initially it was thought of as, oh, well, we're going to do a, you know, identify some projects and then do a development sprint. Um, we're going to actually you know, build some things. Mm-hmm. But the nature of this technology, um, it's so different than the kind of, um, you know, software application development that we've been accustomed to doing within the library now. Um, it's much more sort of instrumental. I wanted to make sure that we were going to have participation across the library so that we could start to surface what are the actual needs within the library um, and, and, you know, what, what do people see as a potential for this technology? Once we'd, you know, all sort of had a baseline understanding about what the, what the possibilities were. Um, and so the kinds of projects that, that emerged, um, were really wonderfully diverse. And, you know, a, a number of them had to do with, uh, trends, basically moving things sort of from analog into the digital realm, right? So we have, for example, a collection of, um, of, you know, Allen Ginsberg's papers, which includes, a number of uh, audio recordings, um, and we know you know researchers want to have access to these recordings. But what we have um, is uh, you know a, a, a just a, a, a very vague record of what's on those tapes. Uh, what if we were able to actually transcribe those tapes and then could you know extract information from within them? So that was an idea. And similarly, you know, we have other, many many um, audio recording projects like that. Um, Another one came from our um, uh, Miller Library at, at Hopkins, and that was um, oceanic, oceanographic field notebooks, where we have, you know, notebooks that were collected um, in the like I think 60s and 70s. Um, they are sometimes handwritten, sometimes typescript, that sort of thing. Um, how do we actually extract uh, the data and make that um, useful, computationally useful? So that's another thing of looking at, you know, so first we're looking at speech to text and in this case, um, doing, you know, handwriting recognition, uh, to transcribe that into text that can be then used. Now, Nicole, um, how are Stanford faculty and, and the students at Stanford, um, taking advantage of, of the AI capabilities of the library? So first I want to just define AI capabilities. So AI relies most importantly on data, as I said, um, and on processing power and on machine learning algorithms, of course. So um, our CIDR, which is the Center for Interdisciplinary Digital Research group, has already now for several years been teaching workshops that and, and those are workshops that are regularly oversubscribed. They're directed to um, to students, to postdocs, but, you know, even faculty. Um, and they're teaching workshops on techniques for gathering, managing, manipulating, even visualizing and analyzing data, um, and as well as most more recently training machine learning algorithms. Um, and those are the kinds of things that are foundations of doing anything with AI. So I would say the library has been very involved in that way, um, helping people to develop the skills. Um, and interestingly, you know, you would think here at Stanford, where, you know, the Center for Computer Science, um, that would be available to anyone. But in fact, um, teaching these kinds of you know, really um, more, I, when I think of sort of instrumental skills of dealing directly with data, um, are outside of the curriculum within computer science. So that's something that's helpful, and it's helpful to to, to most everyone. Um, the the interests in 
the, the digital humanities community is also pushing a lot of this um, because there's a lot of interest there in working with the collections that are within libraries. So, you know, we also have a lot to learn from them, um, but we're trying to to provide this kind of expertise. Um, and I would say that really another thing that we need to start doing ourselves is is turning that expertise in um, to the library staff themselves and, and building what, what I've been calling sort of power tools for librarians. So that can be both, um, you know, training in Python libraries and that sort of thing, but it might also be not involving coding at all, but just developing the kind of tooling that supports um, analysis of, um, of our collections for librarians. Um, I think by supporting librarians and amplifying their work um, with AI, that's just going to, to redound to the benefit of all of the researchers who are actually visiting the library. Now, you have the uh, library AI conversations in your dialogues, which seem to be more recent. Mm -hmm. um, can you uh, tell our listeners about that? Because you're doing some fascinating things um, with that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, um, as I, I mentioned, we wanted to, I, I wanted to start, within our own library, sort of, you know, focusing on kind of AI literacy, you know, making sure that everyone feels um, that they're conversant enough uh, to be involved um, in in the, the Soul AI studio, first of all. And so we started this library AI conversation series um, by inviting uh, experts in just for very informal conversations in the library. So, you know, we started with um, Peter Norvig, who's um, authors of sort of multiple editions of the textbook on artificial intelligence, but also, um, you know, a leader at, at Google. Yeah. Um, Brian Catanzaro was another visitor um, we had who's, you know, leading um, applied AI or applied deep learning at um, at NVIDIA. And, and then we also, you know, we had um, you know, visitors from Stanford as well, because of course we're, we're very fortunate to be here at one of the major research centers for, for AI. Oh, and then, so that's, that's, that was, we had the library conversation. So then we did do a series of public, um, talks as well. Um, I spoke a bit about what we've been doing, um, uh, you know, what we've been doing up to that point with, within the library. Um, we had, um, Rigo Grammatica who came to talk about, uh, you know, uh, as a, a, an exciting kind of new approach to um, to discovery, as you would say, rather than search um, by using concepts uh, across you know across different text corpora, um, and then we um, we wanted to actually also let the library be a place to convene um, conversations across disciplines. So. We had a conversation with um, Jessica Riskin, um, who's, uh, you know, her work is in the history of science, uh, between Jessica Riskin and Isama Khatib, who is in robotics um, at Stanford. So they were um, in conversations where we're talking about the, the, the origins of um, uh, autonomata and, you know, how we started thinking. And, and Jessica Riskin, um, in her work, like in published this wonderful book on um, the restless clock and she's sort of you know tracing these ideas that we have now um, not only in you know thinking in terms of artificial intelligence but just um, you know human evolution and uh, and cognitive science um, are 
starting back in, you know, 17th century, comparing ourselves to machine and um, notions of, you know, whether this is a, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a um, sort of God-infused mechanism, <laughs> or um, if it's something that's apart from that. So, so that you know, in relation to this exciting work that Isama is doing today, right now, of actually you know building robots that can deep sea dive and reach reach places that humans can't. It's sort of a fascinating um, combination. And let's talk a bit broader about AI. I guess the I guess the future of AI in the library because there's. There's, I think, naturally a lot of concerns about AI and machine learning. I think a lot of it's maybe born from science fiction and dystopian, um, you know, movies and and and, uh, and books. Um, you know, the fear of you know um, of machines becoming too smart. <laughs> um, but the, but there's also some some very real concerns about like bias control and, and privacy and, and and job loss. Um, how can libraries address those type of issues um, with AI? So I think that um libraries are are going to be an incredibly important place to address the issue. So it's specifically um bias, privacy, just trust, trust in information. Um I mean I I wanna let's say, you know, take on this bias question because I was just um I was just speaking to a library consortium consortial group in um in, in Minnesota and St. Paul um, yesterday. And this issue of bias came up and people tend to sort of see that and understand that term, of course, in different contexts in different ways. I think, you know, machine learning being rooted in uh, statistical methods you know, has um, really underlying it this uh, kind of tension between um, bias and variance. And so, you know, in, you know, in a model that essentially means, you know, either, um, you know, there's too much variance, meaning there are too many features that you're trying to, to, to take into account. Um, and then you're going to, you know, overfit. It's going to be too specific to be generalizable enough. But, um, if you lean too much in the direction of, of bias, you're going to um, be underfitting and, you know, meaning it's way too generalizable, right? And and that's the problem that um, we run into with, for example, things like predictive policing or, you know, really um, oppressive ways of determining, you know, who should be who should should is is a, a good teacher or not, or you know, who gets a good credit score or, or not. Um, you know, the, the problem is to is in Taking um, the 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 kind of um, uh, results that we got um, as being somehow be, uh, treated as objective and therefore um, you know more more reliable you know than, than a human evaluation um, when instead it should be just used as something that's um, in addition to right we should take advantage of the fact that machines can crunch numbers you know do math basically a lot faster than we can and at a scale. Um, bigger than we can, but ultimately, it's driven by data, and the data can't help but be biased because the data is collected from humans, collected by humans, shaped, you know, and selected yeah. by humans. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, the algorithms themselves—they're designed by humans, and depending on the questions you want to, the things you want to find, and the questions you want to answer, um, they're going to take a different form. So, you know, I think that. What we just have to remember is uh, the, the human involvement. And I would say that actually the reason I think that libraries 
need to play an important role in this is not only from the standpoint of simply, um, uh, you know, being good um, uh, preservers, um, uh, stewards of, of information and, and the data specifically, um, but I think, you know, the organization of the library itself is designed to manage that, right? We can't perfect it, but you know, let's say at the level of, of metadata and cataloging, you know, that would be the area where there's a bit more um, abstraction. Um, it's this, you know, that would be the, the area like tending to a little bit more bias, right, on the bias variant scale. But then we have subject experts, you know, who can then, you know, take that and, and get much more particular to, to different domains. You know, that and that is exactly the kind of balance that's required in applications um, of machine learning specifically, you know, but AI generally. So, so I think, you know, the, the library really kind of needs to, to, to step up and become engaged. And, and I think that starts with, um, with people really becoming familiar with, uh, AI and, and not, not of course threatened by it. Um, you know, you, you mentioned job displacement and I think that it is inevitable that yes, jobs will be displaced. Of course, others will be created. Um, Justine Cassell was, uh, was here recently, um, for the Human Centered AI, uh, Institute launch event. And, and she was saying that, you know, what we're, she's already seeing is that jobs that rely on social skills are actually on the increase, right? Because that's something that AI can't provide. Um, it's task oriented, the kinds of things that, you know, um, AI is gonna, gonna displace. The possibilities, we just we can't you know quite we we can't know yet um until we sort of get involved and start to shape it i mean the degree to which it's like electricity you know is the degree to which it, it has tremendous potential that we just simply have to to direct um i think it's going to have dramatic changes for example in just how we access information online right so you know from a library perspective on you know online catalogs like instead of just parsing out search results according to kind of keyword searches, we're going to be able to go much deeper and have a, a deeper experience of discovery that's more like directed by the researcher, less bounded by the interface itself, um, interactive information visualization and machine learning, um, and, and our ability to make our resources computational, essentially datafy them, is really going to transform um, access. And I think that's tremendously exciting. The library is the intellectual agora of a campus and plays a critical role in the academic, cultural, and physical context of a college. Careful planning and design must be done to create a destination where students come to, not only for information access, but for the opportunity to collaborate and share information. Tape Architects delivers elegant, appropriate, and compelling higher ed library buildings that meet the needs of today's students. To learn more, visit tape.com, T-A-P-P-E dot com. In the January 2019 issue of Library Technology Reports, Buyen Kim, Chief Technology Officer and Associate Professor at University of Rhode Island Libraries, co-authored a really fascinating article titled Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning in Libraries where she helped explain some of the visionary things that are happening at the URI AI Lab. I spoke with Bullion recently about that lab and how students at University of Rhode Island are using it. 
Uh, now in your 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 new chapter in the Library Technology Report uh, on the University of Rhode Island Lab, um, you mentioned that the the lab itself was created. It was inspired by results from a freshman survey. Um, how did you? How did this lead to the development of the lab? And why was the library? I guess more importantly, why was the library decided as the best place to house the lab at the university? Uh, artificial intelligence is a trend that affects many different aspects of our life. Uh, so, for this reason, the URI AI lab was created specifically to facilitate interdisciplinary thinking and multidisciplinary collaboration on AI-related issues. So the library was chosen as the best place to house the AI lab because it's the place where all students and faculty frequent regardless of their discipline. Uh, so URI libraries get a lot of food traffic on campus. This is the case for all university libraries um, in general. So it was for us a logical step to place the artificial intelligence lab at the university library. And by having the lab at the library, uh, we can ensure that the AI lab space is a welcoming and inviting space for everyone, right? Uh, no mm -hmm. matter which discipline they come from, um, instead of like leaning heavily on one or two specific disciplines. Yeah. Um, now, how um, how are students and faculty using the lab since it opened up? Um, I would just say the AI lab has uh, become a go-to place for AI-related events because we hosted several AI-related talks throughout this year, and uh, they were all received very well. Uh, and some of them drew a really large crowd. So, for example, we recently hosted a talk by uh, Yeui Abe, who is a senior roboticist at Boston Dynamics. Uh, and the talk was titled Robots with Labs, and we had like a packed room. So that's the one thing that is happening around the AI lab. Uh, also, the AI lab has been offering many workshops in basic programming, such as Python, R, SQL, etc. So students are learning these things through the lab. We also hold regular open robot hours where students can drop in to learn about robots and robot operating system. Uh, so those are some of the things that are currently happening at the AI lab at the University of Rhode Island. Oh well, now you know you the, the lab itself it's it's not specifically for just STEAM programs and, and, and students studying STEAM uh, disciplines. Uh, you're really opening it up to to the entire university. I think it was kind of fascinating that philosophy students are using it, oceanography students are using. It. Can you talk about that a little bit more? How are you encouraging other disciplines outside of STEAM to use the lab? Yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence is a huge topic in, like, computer science and science in general, but it also has a really active discussion going back all the way to Alan Turing in philosophy as well. So philosophy is actually a very um, not surprising part of the AI lab, to me at least. Uh, so as you have mentioned, there were faculty members from philosophy in our AI lab planning team, um, and we are working to make some courses in also business school, uh, utilize the AI lab more actively. So definitely reaching out to disciplines outside of STEAM uh, is a big part of the URI AI lab. Uh, we also have a very strong focus on the social dimension of artificial intelligence as well as its technical aspect. So this was the planned direction uh, from the beginning. 
so we, for example, highlight algorithmic bias issues and things like that in our programs and events and try to raise awareness on campus. And I think that has been getting very good uh, reception. Um, when the AI lab uh, was still in a planning stage, we also started the Rhode Island Artificial Intelligence Meetup Group to build a community around the topics of uh, AI. And this group uh, had also members from all sorts of uh, backgrounds. And it has over 200 members now. And we host uh, a variety of talks. Uh, on topics that are broadly related to AI, not just on technical aspects. So I think we have a very strong emphasis on um, outreach beyond the same discipline. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, have you noticed any uh, interesting uses of the lab that you didn't originally anticipate? Well, I think actually very strong interest in those like social and economic issues surrounding the development in AI. That was the sort of like really interesting thing that we haven't exactly anticipated. So there was something that we wanted to work on when we started the AI lab. Uh, we wanted to highlight topics like algorithmic biases, and we wanted to raise awareness about it because we did not think uh, it was very well known. Uh, but when we started hosting events and discussing topics like that, we were very surprised to see how much interest uh, uh, it, it draws on campus and beyond. And I think partly this was due to the mass media, like starting to report on these issues more frequently, so we definitely benefited from that. But uh, we are very pleased with those positive responses that we got, uh, like beyond uh, what we hoped for, and we plan to continue to more of that. Oh, great. Now, for any of our listeners, any libraries out there who, who might be curious about uh, or interested in, in adding an AI lab to their, to their library or university, what advice would you give them? Like, where should, where should they start? So for people who want to add a new AI lab, I think there are some basic like best practice guidelines to follow when a library plans a new technology-related space, whether it is an AI lab or something completely different. So I would definitely recommend to set a very clear goal and vision for the new space. So who's going to be the main user group for your new AI lab? Uh, who are their, uh, what are their interests and what kind of current and future needs exist in your co user community that you are trying to target with this new AI lab. So if you have a very good understanding of these things, I think that would definitely help a library uh, to set an appropriate goal and vision. And then everything else can come out of that, right? So I know that this sounds very like abstract because a lot of people want to like know about like, oh, how much space do we need to have, right? You know, what we need to buy in order to have an AI lab. So uh, people tend to focus more on logistics side of it when they try to open a new lab or new technology space. But I really want to recommend doing some basic groundwork of what your AI lab you envision to be and then plan accordingly, right? Because those logistics can change. Like they are not as important as what you want to achieve with the lab itself. Um, also, I would recommend making sure that you have like adequate stepping in one way or another. 
so that uh, you can run some programs, events, and other activities on a regular basis. Because lab is just a space, so if they are not actually used, it doesn't have a lot of value. So uh, people should plan ahead about how the new lab will engage users in multiple ways. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. I'd like to thank Nicole Coleman and Bayim Kim for these fascinating conversations about AI today. I learned a lot. I hope you did too. Join us next month as we look at libraries and food, how they're growing it, and how they're using it to help their communities. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where you can reach out to me directly at deweydecibel at ala.org. Tell us what we're doing, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, show ideas, anything at all. We want to hear from you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Mm-hmm.